Matthew 25. We have all experienced it personally and seen it in the lives of others when there is a great expectation and then reality doesn't match up with the expectation. It, it's interesting online to, to read various reviews about things. And um, I got this product and it said it would do this and that. And, and then it starts just dripping with disappointment. This piece of junk, it was cracked when I opened the box and the switch didn't work and so on and so forth. So, met with the disappointment. This was the expectation. Here's the disappointment. Every spring, farmers and gardeners are eager with anticipation and they have visions of great harvests and and all this produce from the garden and and then it doesn't turn out the way they wanted. A bug gets the tomato plants, a frost gets the peach trees, the deer eat the turnips, let them have them. I don't want turnips anyway, all right? But it's it's not often in life that our expectations in reality meet together. And if anyone should know that, it should be Iowa and Iowa State fans. I mean, and if you want to add on to that, be a Minnesota Viking fan. I feel I I share the pain and burden of Iowa and Iowa State fans who are Minnesota Vikings fans too, all right? But before a season, every team thinks they're going to be the champion. You know what I mean? Man, we've got this and this and this. And then the disappointment comes. But I think the greatest disappointment is when this is what our potential was and this is where we live. And in understanding, that's not just a disappointment to us. Sometimes we, we don't have a problem with it. We live with it. We're, we're okay with it. But the disappointment that that is to God, this is what I designed you to be, and this is where you are. And not living up to our potential or falling far short of what we're capable of is very, very disappointing. The legendary football coach Lou Holtz, who's kind of known for his little quips and and one-liners, said, not everyone can be an All-American. But everyone can be the best they are capable of being. And in understanding that, that not everyone can be an All-American. Not everyone can be whatever realm you're thinking in, in business or hunting or what. Not everyone can 
can have the very best, but everyone can be their very best. And really, that's what Christ was teaching in this parable. You'll note from the very beginning of this parable, I mean, there's so many lessons in it, but he says, basically, from a human perspective, life isn't fair. One got five, one got two, and one got one. Well, that doesn't seem very fair. That's the reality of life, isn't it? And we understand that God is the one who determines what we receive. In Psalm 139, it says, that God is the one that designed us and He put every aspect of our being together. And it is God who gives us our life and our, not just talents, but our our bent, which way we're bent, our interest, our... He's the one that decided all that. And it comes to a point that we need to be at peace and accept God's design for our life. In understanding that, we, we also come to understand that no two lives are the same. God, God designs us, and to some, he makes them a two-court picture, okay? And, and then along comes another one, and this is one court, maybe. 32 ounces, is that one court? Okay. And... And it'd be easy to say, I got the short end of the deal here. Well, then you come along and you're a two-ounce cup. And it's like, I'm starting out way, way behind. And we can internalize and we can say, this isn't fair and God must hate me. And I might as well give up. And yet, God has a definite purpose for every one of us. And He has determined what we are. And to a certain degree, we have a lot of responsibility, and we'll get to that in a minute. But... There is a great difference. There is the two-court, one-court, and two-ounce. And there's everything in between. And it's important for us to accept God's design in our life. There are people who live their whole life bitter at God because... The home God gave them. The physical stature 
or lack thereof that God gave them, the mental ability that God gave them. And we could go on and on. And a big thing of reaching your potential is accepting what God has brought in my life and entrusting it to Him to make it to His glory. But regardless of our situation, regardless of our life, God expects our best. So, the one court may say, I'll never be able to do this. But all God asks the one court to do is be one court. He doesn't ask it to be a two-quarter. He asks it to be a one-quarter. All he asks this to be is full. Use everything God's given you to his glory. And it doesn't matter, well, this one has 30 more ounces than I have. Good grief. Do you know how many times I'd have to just to be what they are? We have All God asks is for us to do our very best. So if this one only does half and this one does full, they're not the same. This one will be rewarded because it did its best. It full to capacity. This one only did 50%. So this one, wow, that makes it easy. I only need two ounces in this one. But it doesn't matter if I only do half and one ounce. I'm just like the two quart that only does one quart. What God requires in all of us is that we fulfill our potential, that we we give Him our best. And our best starts with God. Our best begins with Christ because until we come to Christ, we are like this. We can't hold anything. We, we have, we're completely void of the purpose God has for us in this illustration. And so many people pour into their lives all these things and it goes right through them and it doesn't fulfill and it doesn't bring God's best because they don't have Christ. And their life, we say, is empty. It doesn't retain anything. Nothing fills the God-sized hole. And the God-sized hole in one might be two ounce. It doesn't mean God's any less. It means this is what I'm capable of. And this is what God has given me. And he wants 100% of this. But to give God our best... It begins by saying, God, I am a sinner. I cannot 
hold any of your grace or glory, so to speak, along the line of this illustration. And God, I need your forgiveness of my sin, and I call upon you, and then we have a vessel that Christ dwells in. So, giving God our best begins with Christ, and our best involves works. In, in this parable, he said, well done, well done. What does that imply? They did something. It involves works. It involves effort on my part. It involves me obeying the Spirit of God. It's not just, well, this is the way God made me. And we'll touch on this in a little bit. But it involves something on our behalf. It involves that we do something well done. We don't do anything to get salvation. But once we are saved, we understand, whoa, God designed me for a purpose. And I need to be busy about that purpose. And it involves obedience to God. Faith always produces works. Genuine faith. That's the whole message of the book of James. Faith, if we really believe then it will be evidenced in what we do. So he said, Well done, thou good. Anything that's good is of God. So it's not just doing our own works, it's doing God's works. Because our works aren't good, but God's are. So he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, to to be God's best, we need Christ. We need to obey Christ, and it will be evidenced in our works. And we need to consistently obey Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful It's not just a one-time thing, and it's not just being something at church and something different at home or something. It's consistent. It's faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's serving as unto the Lord. I am His servant. He made me this way. He has a purpose for this cup, and... I can think about others, but nope, I'm going to be what God's called me to be. This, this person could say, I, I have to carry a heavier load. Wouldn't it be nice if all I had to carry was two ounces? But look at this burden that I have to bear. And there are people going through life thinking, oh, this burden that I have to bear. Well, if God's allowed it into our life, He has a purpose for it. And and we ought to say, God, as Your servant, I want to fulfill Your purpose that You have put in my life. 
And so I am committed to obeying you. And I want to consistently, faithfully be obedient to you. Why? Because from Matthew 25, we know that there's coming a day when our lives will be examined. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've mentioned recently the biggest day of our life is yet ahead of us. But notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Before we look at it, in the parable, he gave five, he gave two, he gave one. And then it said in the parable that the master appeared to them, came to them, and held them accountable for what they did. So, we have been given 2 ounce, 32 ounce, 64 ounce. And we will answer to God for what we've done with that. Notice verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, there is no other foundation except Jesus Christ. Now, when you have Jesus Christ, He holds us accountable. Now, if anyone, verse 12, builds on this foundation, builds on Jesus Christ, with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So, what I've done with what God has given me will be clear. Someday it's going to be clear. And he gives the analogy here. He says, verse 14, If anyone's work which he has built on it endures... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved by fire. So he says, the fire is going to test our work. If it was works done for God, by God, it will be purified. Gold, silver, precious stone. If it were works that were done for myself in the arm of my strength for whatever purpose, it will disappear. But the day is coming that it will reveal what my potential was and how close I came to fulfilling the potential that God gave me. This will be a day of revelation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, or verse 10. Well, let's get it straight. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Therefore, Paul is writing to believers. The believers at Corinth, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, 
to be well-pleasing to Him. So Paul is saying, whatever I am, my aim is to be well-pleasing to Him. I want to give Him my best. So he says, for he understood we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known of God, and I also trust are well known of your consciences. So he says, I understand this has been what has been given to me, and someday... I'm going to appear before God, and I'm going to give account of myself to God for what I've done. I'm, I'm not going to be able to say, well, you're requiring more of me. No, he's requiring 100% of what he's entrusted to me. The same as he is for anyone else. And in understanding... This ought to be a motivating force in our life. Someday, I am going to give an account to God for what I have received and what I've done with it. If I've felt sorry for myself, if I've neglected it, abused it, whatever, I will give an account. My life will be examined. That's That's the biggest day of your life is yet to come. So, I want to give some points how to be your best, whether you're a 64-ounce, 32-ounce, 2-ounce, 18-ounce, whatever you are, how how to be your best for God. Number one, have a right view of God. Back to Matthew 25. The one that had one that didn't use it for God's glory, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. He had a wrong view of God. And that you reap where you do not sow. And and I was afraid of you. I was afraid. He was motivated by fear and he had a wrong view of God. In order for you to give your very best, you need to have a right view of God. And that involves... God, I understand you gave them 64 ounce and you gave me two ounce and I dropped it on the floor, but I picked it up by your grace, God. And I understand, God, you're good to them and you're good to me. And I'm not going to hold anything against you because I think I got shortchanged. What happened to Adam and Eve? They believed God was shortchanging them, keeping something from them that they should have had. I shouldn't have experienced this in my life, God. Why did you put me through that? A wrong view of God. A right view of God says, God, I don't understand it, 
And that's fine with me, but help me to take what you've put in my life and use it all for your glory. Having a right view of God. Most of us, many times in our life, have had a wrong view of God. And to be your best, it's going to require that that you have a right view of God and you only get that through the Word of God, through study of the Word of God. Then, let God's purpose guide you. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, All things were made by Him, so... 2 ounce, 32, 64. All all of those were made by Him, and all things were made for Him. So God has a purpose. And I can take my 32 ounce, and I can use it for me, and I'll never be giving God my best. God, what, what is the way you want me to use this for your glory? And it's not just use my whole life, but it's use every day. He gives you 24 hours in every day. How, how can I use those 24 hours for your glory? It's about you. I mean... If you were to put your purpose for life, write it down on a piece of paper, most of us that have been Christians long enough know the right answer, to glorify God. How much did that rule in your heart and mind and actions this week? I just want to glorify God in this. I just want to glorify God in this. Or was it more what will make me happy or why do I have to do that or I want to put them in their place or what? what, How much were you God conscious this last week? That's what I'm talking about. It's knowing God's purpose. I mean... As I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, Marilyn will say, hey, before you come home, can you run to Hy-Vee and pick up some carrots? Okay. You know what? More times than not, my purpose is go get carrots and get home. And the self-check doesn't work, and I get upset. And you say, that's why I don't go to self-check. Well, you go to the teller, and they don't work, and you get upset. And I'm not thinking I'm going to Hy-Vee to glorify God. I'm not thinking that at all. Oh, come on. By just walking in the store, you can walk in looking like a mule 
Or you can walk in with a smile on your face. You can greet, hi, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Or you can just be on a mission, and I can go get the carrots, I can go home and actually get the right ones. You know, she wanted organic baby carrots or whatever. That's the, that's the trouble. There's so many options that we husbands can go so wrong with, you know. And I can say, successful. And God says, no. You saw that person down the aisle, so you went down the other aisle so you wouldn't have to mess with them. And I wanted you to be used of them to provide an encouragement. Oh, come on. This is getting too complicated. It's God's purpose. Why is God giving you life? And honestly, if, if we think about it, most of us aren't conscious of God's purpose in our life very much. So let God's purpose guide you. All things were made by Him, and it was made for Him. Thirdly, invest in preparation. Um, I didn't know how else to put this. But a fruitful walk with God is made in quiet, unseen moments alone with God. You're, you're not going to have the right attitude when you go to Hy-Vee and they don't treat you well. If you're not walking with God. If you haven't been alone with God and been in His presence. Benjamin Franklin said, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to chop down a tree. I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. Preparation. This this is where... We want to rush out and do things for God. And God says, Mary has chosen the needful thing. She sat at my feet and listened to me. And you think, that's not, that's not doing anything. I need to go. You need to prepare your soul. You need to... Be reminded of the character of God. And, and that's why personal time alone with God is not about checking it off our list. It's not about getting through the Bible in a year. It's about knowing God and preparing our heart for when the kids are really bad or when the parents drive you nuts. Or when the neighbor is testing you to the nth degree. We need that fellowship with God. We need that preparation. It's not just enough to say, I want to be God's best. I want want to live up to my potential. It's not just the will to do it. You need to put in the stuff 
that nobody else sees. Bobby Knight said, the key is not the will to win. Everybody has that. The key is the will to prepare. It's to invest and carve out of your schedule time. I must spend time alone with God. That's the one thing that is needful. Number four, take care of your garden. Here's what happens. I got my 32 ounce and I'm going through life and a little two ouncer bumps into me and the focus becomes a what they're doing. Why? Who do they think they are? And they said this to me. And we get offended by other people and our focus comes off of being what God's called me to be and it becomes what they're doing or not doing. I need to take care of my garden. Their garden isn't my responsibility. I don't have any control over them. I do have control over me. Or we say, how lucky are they? I mean, they get notice. They carry a big load. They just, they make me sick. They can sing. They can do this. They can do... And our focus becomes on them. No. Thank God that there's people different than us. And take care of your garden. Our number... Our number one responsibility is ourself, and every one of us have enough work there to keep us busy our whole lifetime. But it is too easy for us to get our eyes off on others, and, and we then become useless to others. That is why when you fly in an airplane and they go through all the information, they say, in case of emergency, the oxygen air mask will drop down, and if you are traveling with a child, first put on your mask, and then attend to the needs of your child. Why do they say that? If you are incapacitated, You are of no use to anyone else. And if you are not walking with God, you are of no use to anyone else. And there's some real truth in self-care. Not living for selfishness, but in taking... I must take care of my relationship with God and then... I can be a blessing to others. Then I can help the two court. And I why? Because I'm going and getting refilled in my walk with God. Then I can be useful. That 
this is so foundational and so basic, but it's, it's taking care of my garden. Don't focus on others. Don't focus on things you can't control. And take care of my garden. Two more things. Number five, understand the battle. There, there is a battle going on. And we get weary in trying to be the best. There is spiritual warfare. Whether we're, whether we're a two ounce, Satan wants to, he wants to diminish what we do. He wants us to just have some drops in there so we're not useful to God. And it is a battle, and that's why in Galatians 6 and verse 9 he says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't give up. There's weariness. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. Keep. Keep pursuing to be the best for God's honor and glory. And you know what that means? There's times our cup gets a hole in it. And we need to, we need to fix it. We need to confess sin and we need to fix it. And, and it's weary. I'm doing all this and I don't see any fruit. And it's like no one appreciates it. And why should I keep doing this? This is a battle. Understand the battle. Satan does not want you to fulfill your potential. Why? Because that brings glory to God. He wants to do everything he can to hinder that. And that's why he said, don't be weary in the battle. And we don't have time to go in and talk about all the spiritual warfare, but there's much spiritual warfare, but don't be weary in it. What's my little cup going to do in the grand scope of things? In all the evil that's going on? No, I'm not going to be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap what? If you don't faint. I believe there are many Christians that have fainted. In the sense... They've drawn back. They've become apathetic. They're just hoping Christ returns soon and this is over. And they're no longer pursuing. They're no longer striving (coughs) to be the very best that God wants them to be. Now, to be your best, you also need to trust God with the results. Because it gets lonely, it gets difficult, your, your cup is being bumped and turned over, and there's many, many adversaries, and you may not see fruit, but you say, I'm going to trust. God gave me this. I'm going to pursue fulfilling his purpose in my life, purposes in my life, and I am going to trust him with the results because I know the day is coming when I'm going to stand before him. 
And that's why I love 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. And, and I honestly believe you need to really turn there if you would. You need to really come to grips with the truth of this verse. First Corinthians four and verse five. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Okay, so it says it looks like my work's doing nothing, looks like others are more successful. Judge nothing before the time when the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. So he's reminding them, the day is coming when God's going to reveal the hidden things of darkness. He's going to reveal those things that you've invested in the lives of others through faithfully praying for them, and no one knew about it. And you maybe thought, I don't know if it did anything. And God's going to reveal. He's also going to reveal those that maybe looked like they did great things, but it was all in vain. You can trust God with the the results. He said, there's not a cup of cold water that's been given in my name that won't be rewarded. Man, that should be encouraging. It's not like you have to go do these spectacular things. I can trust God with the results. He is going to come. He will reveal the hidden things of darkness. He will make manifest what's really in the heart. That's why we have to keep our heart with all diligence. And then, that's when you want to hear, Well done, little two-ouncer. You were faithful in what I gave you. I am going to make you ruler over many. Well done, thou good and faithful. There will be no difference between well done, good and faithful, and well done, good and faithful. That day's coming. When when an individual coaches a sport, it grieves the coach's heart when you know this kid had great potential, but they were lazy. They didn't listen, they were selfish, whatever it is. And you think, man, what a waste of talent. I don't want that when I see God. And not only that, one of the things that is underlining in ministry decisions and everything here is what will help us so that we could look at fellow brothers and sisters and see them hear from God. Well done, thou good and faithful. And to me, 
seeing that is as much a joy as hearing it ourselves. To say, yes, woo, praise God. But it doesn't just happen by wishing it. It's understanding God's work in our lives, having a right view of Him, committing to His purpose, investing in preparation, investing in, in the, the hard, nitty-gritty things of a personal walk with God. It's those difficult things. It's, it's getting out of the comfort zone. Our next Bible study will get you out of the comfort zone. You said that's what you said the last one. Yeah, it did. And this one will too. Well, I like the one where you just read a verse and fill in the word that's missing. Is that pushing you? Is that preparing you? So that we could give glory to God that God says, You filled up what I committed to you. Well done, thou good and faithful. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be renewed as believers in our commitment to be all that you want us to be. And Lord, that it would be manifested in in the priorities in our life of seeking you individually and personally, that it would be manifested in spirit-directed and spirit-empowered works that are the fruit of our faith. That it would be manifested in persevering faithfulness. That even when we don't see the fruit, even when it seems like it's in vain that we continue, that it would be manifested when we're tempted to compare or complain about others, that we would come back to our garden and pull the weeds that need pulled and fertilize the plants and water the faith so that you are honored. So, Lord, I pray for any believer that is just kind of waiting for you to come and is let off the throttle a little bit, so to speak. I pray today there would be a renewed commitment to you. Lord, I pray for individuals here today that are the colander, the sieve, that they don't have you in their life. Lord, I pray that they would humble themselves and call upon you for the forgiveness of sin and then know your power and your purpose in their lives. Lord, we need you. And we thank you for the joy of of being recipients of your grace and being called to purposes higher than ourselves. Lord, may we be faithful and may we fervently run the race you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.